welcome to Episcopals, bringing you the latest in faith-based advocacy from the Episcopal Church Office of Government Relations. And welcome to another episode of Episcopals. I'm Alan Yarborough, your host from the Office of Government Relations. And we have a guest speaker today, really excited to have Jerusalem Greer with us. Jerusalem, I'll, uh, I'll let you introduce yourself briefly. Oh, thanks, Alan. It's great to be here. Uh, yeah, so I'm Jerusalem Greer. I am the manager for evangelism and discipleship in the office of the presiding bishop for the Episcopal Church. Awesome. It's great to have you with us. And, and we've collaborated before uh, being on staff together, but uh, love to see, uh, discuss maybe an, an unlikely or, or uh, not often thought of connection. Um, between our work today, um, between evangelism and, and advocacy. Yeah. So just let's start off maybe with, with the basics. I know you've had a few years now, you know, working on this this E word in the church, but folks still may be warming up to it. Um, I know I am to an extent, but uh, can we start out just by, by defining uh, evangelism? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of uh, definitions or um, ways of thinking about evangelism, not all of them positive, um, depending on where you're coming from in the world, or especially within the Christian faith, right? Um, there's a lot of different experiences of evangelism. What we say, we have a working definition, um, which I think signals that it's always in flux as our understanding of things changes and evolves. But um, we like to talk about evangelism for Episcopalians being a spiritual practice where we seek, name, and celebrate Jesus's loving presence in the stories of all people and then invite everyone to more, more of lots of things, right? Like more story sharing, um, more invitation, more experiences of God, all kinds of different things. So that's kind of like our official definition. Um, and I also like to just say, basically, like my work is all about helping form people through good news in order to share good news. And so that's kind of my own personal definition. I appreciate that. And appreciate the, the concept of a working definition that really resonates for me for something like this, especially as, as you mentioned, you know, we're navigating a world where there are sort of harmful, negative connotations for the word, but it's also something that that's central to our faith and, and there are ways that we can carry that out in a healthy way. Uh, so really appreciate you, you highlighting that. You know, we talk about uh, advocacy in our office as an expression of faith and action. Uh, it's really about reaching out beyond our church communities, uh, mo- most centrally, I think, to build relationships uh, with elected, appointed career government officials, uh, and then also equipping Episcopalians to do this work together, to do this work with us. Uh, and I think in that sort of what our messaging is, our messaging is about speaking for, but also speaking with others, um, particularly those on the margins, uh, in order to ask for more just uh, laws and policies. So sort of thinking about that concept, uh, how do you see that fitting in with evangelism? Yeah, so um, I tend to think uh, that lots of things that we do are evangelistic, right? Because if it's witnessing to good news, if it is actually good news for people, then Mm -hmm. um, that's rooted in love, that's coming from our beliefs, then I feel like that is evangelistic in nature. But in particular, what I love about what you guys do is the listening aspect, because that's also a big part of evangelism, is that for us, we don't think like we have all the answers, 
Um, we're not trying to convert people to say this is the only way to follow Jesus in the world, you know, or to be a good person or, or whatever it is. We're saying this is the way that's brought us life and hope. And so we want to share it. But we're also super curious about how other people are experiencing good news, where they see God, um, where they encounter the divine, um, their stories. And so I think what you were talking about, about listening and partnering and um, sharing stories and listening to those on the margins to find out how um, what they do need support in their own advocacy work or advocacy on their behalf. Um, I think the same is true in evangelism. Like we need to go and see what God is doing out in the world, even beyond us, where God is, listen to those stories and be formed by the good news too, right? That's already happening. That has nothing to do with us. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so I think there's a nice dovetail there in our objectives of both listening and sharing. I think we're both doing those things, uh, maybe in little different ways, but the mandate's very similar. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And, and certainly no, you know, every Episcopalian is not called to do public policy advocacy. Right, right. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's an expression of, of this broader concept, um, you know, and, and I think it's very, I know our work, I mentioned relationships with government officials, but we also have relationships with other organizations, Episcopal organizations, uh, faith-based organizations, secular ones that can help uh, inform us and our work, that can invite us to join what they're doing uh, in a way that will, will be a value add. Uh, whether that's, you know, of course, we, we've talked about on our podcast, we always follow general convention and executive council resolutions. But then how we do that, right, is is often a, a creative sort of practice. Right. Um, but there, there are sometimes some natural partners. So when we're advocating, for example, on, on protections of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge on the coastal plain, uh, we partner with the Gwich'in, indigenous people, um, and, and try to follow their lead to the extent that we can, to the extent that we can collaborate with, with their voices on the ground, so to speak, in, in Alaska, but, uh, but then amplify them or, uh, or again, add our voices to theirs to, to amplify the message uh, here in DC. Um, so yeah, I had a couple of questions for you, but I think you, I think you also wanted to, to flip the script today and, and ask a couple of questions of me. Yeah, I do. I do want to ask. So one thing that I'm super curious about, because a lot of times folks who are interested in discipleship work, spiritual practice work, evangelism work, um, might not always be the people who are jazzed or comfortable about advocacy work, because they think of it as like, I've got to march, right? Or mm -hmm. I've got to go like lay myself over something that might explode. I don't know, right? Like <laughs> I've got to write a bunch of letters. Like they just have one picture of what advocacy work looks like. Um, but yet, as I think we begin to help people understand that advocacy work is also evangelism in that it is working to share good news in just different ways by changing policy and, um, right, like changing the impact that different things have on actual people's lives, on creation, et cetera. Um, how would someone get started? So they're like, I'm not a protesting kind of person, right? But I, I do believe this work is important and I do want to do this as part of my evangelism ministry, both as an individual or maybe as part of a congregation. So where do they start? Like, what's the low hanging fruit 
or where's the natural intersection for you, you know, between evangelism and advocacy that someone could start with? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, you know, and I, I hear that um, frequently. It's, it's thinking of advocacy or political engagement as needing to be on those on visible display, as needing to be at a march or a protest. I think is uh, is limiting to to the potential to the opportunities that are there, the potential for us to engage um, in what we call advocacy. Uh, I want to, to still affirm you know, protesting and, and marching, you know, where it's necessary. And, and it's definitely part of this, the mix. Uh, it's not the specialty of, of our particular office, but um, it's certainly one, you know, where uh, change has, has been made. So it's one of the tools that we have. Um, we'll be uh, we're recording this shortly before Juneteenth, and we'll be um, publicizing a march that will occur on Juneteenth um, on uh, addressing uh, voting rights, on ending gun violence, and on reparations, uh, three policy areas that we have church policy on, we have action alerts on. Um, so there's a, that that public space is there, but certainly everyone does not have to be doing that to be a successful advocate or to get started. Uh, and I think to me, the easiest way I can frame the entry point, the on-ramp sort of to this work um, is to encourage people to go to what they know. And I think most Episcopalians are pretty comfortable uh, and familiar with what I call tangible ministries. These may be uh, just existing ministries that are in the church already, that are doing great work. They may have volunteered you know, to serve food uh, for a homeless shelter. They may have volunteered to weed the community garden. You know, They may have volunteered to help uh, welcome refugees coming in through the refugee resettlement program uh, in Episcopal Migration Ministries, any number of things. Um, and I find people are more comfortable with that. They're more comfortable supporting that financially or volunteering their time. But in almost all of those cases, there's a way to also engage in advocacy to assist those same goals or to approach those the same objectives of those ministries, whether that's addressing uh, hunger, addressing you know climate change and environmental degradation, um, addressing or making sure even that there is a ref refugee resettlement program to begin with. Um, all of those can be approached through advocacy as well. And so I invite people to to add that on, kind of fold that in. I'm, I think uh, we've, we've talked about Jerusalem, not on the podcast, but you and I have talked about, I think, cooking before. And like, mm -hmm. I don't know if we specifically talked about biscuits, but I think about biscuits and you have to make the layer and then fold the layer back over. Uh, it's sort of like adding another layer in, right, to, to your faith, to your engagement. Um, and that can be an entry point. So start with what you know, start with the stories that you have, the connections that you have, uh, and see where those may be useful. Um, it may be you work with the homeless and the city council could benefit from the experiences that you have. Uh, it may be that you work in refugee resettlement and there's a need at the federal level to call for you know funding uh, for the refugee resettlement program or something like that. So that's sort of the easiest on-ramp, I think, to me, to, to get in, for folks to get involved who may be skeptical. I love that. I love that idea because instead of adding something new and starting from scratch, um, which we don't always have the capacity for, right? Just adding that, that next layer to something you already have some experience in. Um, I know when we first started the Good News Garden movement, so at that time I lived on about seven acres and we had a big garden, we had a couple of big gardens and I was already kind of living a slightly agrarian based life. Um, and when we started the Good News Gardens, uh, which is what a ministry of creation care and evangelism and discipleship, um, one of the things that I wanted to really do and 
as we wanted to do as part of the ministry is lift up diverse voices across mm-hmm. agrarian ministries or just agrarian work period. And I had a really hard time, um, like just kind of in the normal channels, finding farmers of color, um, gardeners of color, that sort of thing. Um, and it was all around the same time, you know, of course, the George Floyd's murder, et cetera, right? And there was kind of this dual thing of, I was trying to do this work for Good News Gardens, and I was trying to find a way to really engage with Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter in a way that was felt very personal to me, that wasn't just me signing on for something. I wanted to become more active in that, um, in a way that felt authentic, right, and not performative. Right. And so uh, finally, I just started searching hashtags on Instagram. And I, I was like, I just, cause I don't know, you know, it's like the algorithm was not providing me <laughs> naturally what I was seeking. And so I think I finally like broke through with the hashtag black gardener or black farmer. And all of a sudden it was like this whole world opened up to me and I found all these other voices, began following them. And that led me to the farm bill, right. To a whole other part of the farm bill. And so now I pay attention and I try to care about and learn about how the farm bill especially affects black farmers, right? Which, Mm -hmm. and so it was that, like you said, that natural progression from my farm to Good News Gardens to black farmers, et cetera, that has now led me instead of just hopping onto maybe some other thing that I knew nothing about, (laughs) what I have no intersectionality with. Um, So I, I love that idea of start with something you already care about, something you're already familiar with. That's really, yep. really smart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you, you raise, you know, too, I think <laughs> there are often people out there already doing this work and right. they need help. Uh, they, they need support. They're usually looking for partners. And I think often um, being uh, people of faith and speaking out if, if we're a congregation in particular or as a denomination speaking out as as a church we're often a unique voice we're we're one of few faith voices in some of these spaces um, and so if we remember to you know approach it with sort of curiosity and, and humility and a willingness to learn uh, but also recognizing we've got some expertise we've got some passion that we can bring in um, so really love that example there. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. That's so interesting because everything you're saying is so similar to the kinds of things we talk about in evangelism 101 and our embracing evangelism. Just that idea of sharing our stories, listening to others. Um, what are you already passionate about? You know, what are you already comfortable with? It's just, I love that. It's so, it's so similar. Okay. I've got one more question for you. Right. Um, and it's around this idea. So, one of the, another thing we do in our workshops, we do in Embracing Evangelism, is uh, we get people to st- share their stories. We call it story sharing instead of storytelling because it hopefully is mutual, right? I think my um, Baptist grandmother would call it testifying. <laughs> We're going to testify, right? That word might freak some Episcopalians out. Sure. <laughs> so uh, I believe Julie Lytle came up with the term um, story sharing. She's a great formation leader in our church. And so we love to, to use that term. Um, and we practice because again, it's kind of like some people when they're new to advocacy, right? They don't, they don't feel confident in all the skills. So we practice story sharing with each other, testifying with each other. Um, and so I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you to give us a testimony of a time when 
you have experienced or you have witnessed God showing up through advocacy? You know, what's to put it in like Episcopal language, what's an outward invisible sign, um, an outward invisible testimony to how and why this work matters um, and how you see God showing up in it? A couple of answers. A couple, two, two things come to mind. And, and one, the first one's kind of funny because it's not really specific. It, it's not going to impact people very much, but it speaks to how important relationship building is. So I think folks often are pessimistic even about our elected officials, especially, you know, in Congress. Um, and in some ways there's reason to be, but these are also people uh, and their staff that work for these members of Congress that are, uh, I think, uh, well-intentioned and, and want to make a positive difference, certainly disagree with one another and, and approach that in different ways. But there really are some some wonderful people in, in D.C. Uh, working on these policy, the, the legislation and policy that we want to see change. Uh, and I remember going into an office, it was a Virginia uh, member of the House one time, and I don't even remember anymore what the meeting was about. Um, I mean, it was, I'm sure, a, a serious topic and, and one that we had, uh, that the church had spoken out about. And uh, But at any rate, I, I had left the um, the office we met in the small room. So House offices are quite tiny, um, and they usually are packed with the staffers. So you walk in, there's not much room to move around, and everybody can kind of hear each other. And I'm leaving the, the office uh, and notice a bowl of these um, Virginia-branded peanuts. Uh, often congressional offices may have something from their district. And I, like, apparently made some sort of audible noise of excitement and grabbed a, a thing of the peanuts. And, and one of the staffers noticed and asked me, like, oh, you know, are you interested in these? And I said, yes, these are the same exact brand that when I was growing up, my mom would always buy every time we went to Bed Bath & Beyond. Um, and I just had this positive association of these peanuts and like all the staff could hear it and they all like cheered that I loved the, the Virginia peanuts that they had. And, you know, just a, an easy reminder that we're dealing with people uh, when, we're, when we're dealing with policy and legislation, whether those are the people who hold the power and the decision-making uh, decision levers uh, for, for policy or legislation or other people who are advocating with us uh, or sometimes advocating for things differently than what we're advocating for. Uh, we're dealing with people and, and sometimes you need those moments that aren't so serious and aren't so on point uh, to really build a connection and, and sort of unlock a different dynamic in a room. Um, and I think my, my second answer to the question and it really is probably the most motivating thing in my work um, is hearing from Episcopalians when they're upset about something that we're advocating for. Uh, it, and we hear everything. It's too liberal. It's too conservative. Uh, we hear everything about, about numerous policies. But what I find particularly rewarding is when people write us, they're certainly emotional, um, I think in part because these, these policies and legislation, you know, it impacts them uh, or impacts someone that they love. And they may be borderline angry in their email, um, never having, you know, corresponded with these people the vast majority of the time. And I'll respond and say, hey, thank you for sharing your story about this topic. Thank you for at least caring to engage. And I may explain a bit about this is why we're taking this position. This is the, you know, reiterate, this is the church's position, um, but we're grateful for the engagement. And I mean, 95% of the time, the response that people give, regardless of whether they said, oh, you're too liberal, oh, you're too conservative, is just thank you for hearing me. 
I was not expecting to hear a response. I wasn't expecting to uh, actually engage with someone. And it has just opened up shifts in uh, how people, I think, think about this work, how they think about the church, um, and brings them into a, a healthier place uh, where we're not changing people overnight and making them think the same way that we do. I don't think that's our objective. Um, but it's it's a relationship building exercise, hopefully, with the goal of, you know, when we're more civically engaged, we're going to be building a better world uh, through our advocacy. So love that question. And those are the two stories that come to mind. <laughs> I love those. And they're, they're so relevant to evangelism as well. We do, we talk about this all the time. It's relationship work. It's relationship work. It's, you know, one of the things that we say, kind of a little bit to your peanut story, a little bit different, but, you know, we say, offer to pray for people, right? Like in, in the cubicle next to you, wherever, if you know someone's going through a hard time, whether they're a church member or a person of faith or not, just offer, say, hey, do you mind? I'm going to be praying for you about this. Or in the moment, if that you have that kind of relationship to actually pray for them, but it opens this door that makes helps them know, A, you've heard me, you've seen me, um, you're aware of what's going on with me and you care about it. And it also signals to them that you're a person of faith and that when they are ready, they can come back to you and say, hey, you know, thank you for praying for me. Or remember that time you offered to pray for me? Well, I have, I, mean, I guess you're a Christian. Can I ask you some questions, right? Like it's, it's that way of both acknowledging them, um, affirming, you know, the dignity mm-hmm. of, of their humanness and, and all that means, brokenness, celebration, et cetera, right? And then also opening the door for them to choose to come through when they're ready. Um, so I love that. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for lifting that up too. I mean, I, I, I sympathize certainly with the, you know, the fatigue around the phrase thoughts and prayers. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, is we're, we're saying we can't stop at thoughts and prayers, but we still gotta, we still gotta do it. That's right. Um, yeah. Praying is an integral part of this as we continue to take action. Absolutely. Um, so thanks for lifting that up. Yeah. Well, Jerusalem, I really appreciate your, uh, your time with us today. Uh, and, and just love when our, our offices can connect and we can sort of give each other shout outs. So um, in that spirit, just sort of wrapping us up here, what else should, what else should our Episcopal's audience know uh, about what's going on in, in your world in the, in the Office of Evangelism and Discipleship? Um, thank you. Yeah, so there's a big thing going on this summer. Is there? Uh, there is. I know you've heard of it, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited. It's going to be so amazing. Um, so my office, along with creation care, racial reconciliation, your office, so many different uh, departments from the Episcopal Church and beyond are coming together to host a big festival um, this summer in Baltimore, July 9th through 12th. And I'm sure even as the time of this, there are tickets available. If you're in the area, come up. But even if you can't, um, we're going to be live streaming the morning plenaries. So uh, Tuesday... Um, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of that week, um, we're going to have, and then the evening worship services. And each of those are going to be focused on different things. So there's going to be a worship service and a plenary around evangelism. There's going to be a worship service and a plenary around creation care. Um, And, um, you know, then one about racial injustice as well, um, a plenary and a worship service. And so if those are topics that your folks are particularly interested in, any of those, um, you don't have to come to the festival. You'll be able to find that on the Episcopal Church's uh, website and on their Facebook page. And then, of course, they'll be live, but they'll also be like cataloged, right? So you'll be able to find them afterwards. 
Um, but if you want to see, I, I think of all of these as witnesses, right? These All of these services and these plenaries, I believe, are witnesses to the different ways that we believe in sharing good news and being good news in the world. And so if you're curious of what that looks like, um, besides marching, which is still a great thing to do, um, <laughs> I think these will be some great examples um, and some leaders from not just across the Episcopal Church, but just across um, the Christian community at large, um, a pretty diverse group of speakers and preachers, and I'm really excited to, to share those. So I'm excited to have you there uh, leading a workshop and being a part of a couple of different things. So that'll be great. Yeah, wonderful. Thanks for sharing about that. And, and I am looking forward to being a part of it, grateful to be a part of it. Um, but I think also just uh, excited to hear from the people who y'all are bringing in. I mean, it's, it's impressive um, from the workshop speakers to the uh, the worship leaders and different creative ways that you're 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 fostering connection uh, for those who are in attendance and, and grateful to hear as well. There'll be there'll be ways for folks to tune in from from afar. We're excited about it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jerusalem. It's great to speak with you today, and uh, I'll hopefully see you in Baltimore. Thanks, Alan. The Office of Government Relations aims to represent the policy priorities of the Episcopal Church the U.S. government in Washington, D.C., and to influence policy and legislation on critical issues, all while highlighting voices and experiences of Episcopalians and Anglicans globally. The office facilitates the Episcopal Public Policy Network, a grassroots network of Episcopalians engaged in the Ministry of Public Policy Advocacy. Take action and learn more by following the links in the description. The Episcopals podcast is produced by the staff of the Office of Government Relations, with the support from our podcast engineer, Ellie Singer, and project manager, Chris Sikama. Thanks for listening, and join us next time on Episcopals. You're invited to join thousands of Episcopalians, neighbors, and friends this summer at the Love Always Revival at the KFC Yum Center in Louisville, Kentucky. On Saturday, June 22nd, get immersed in inspiring worship and community Deepen your love for God, kick off the 81st General Convention, and extend a warm welcome to folks discovering the Episcopal Church. The revival is free to attend, so bring your friends. If you're from a neighboring diocese, check in with your diocesan revival champion to find out about group travel options. You can find more information along with registration at iam.ec lovealways.